So we look at ethical responsibility. This is fundamental nursing. We look at ethical responsibility. This is fund nursing. Uh, like I said the other day, I said fundamental and med search. They are the two basic skill nursing or skill uh, skill endless courses. Now these two courses they are we do a skilled skill nursing materials. So it is necessary that when we are doing when we are dealing with these skilled nursing courses, we should be able to know these things like how they're supposed to be. It is very important to know them. It is important to really understand these things like how they are. Because um these skilled nursing, they are what we're gonna have in our end class a lot. So it is good to really know these things. Now, under ethical responsibility, it's one of those eight segments when it comes to the end class. When you go to the end class, when you fill the end class, what they will send to you, they will send you eight categories of things that you met in the end class, eight categories of breakdown that you did in the end class. This ethical principles forms part of the uh, part of one of the eight categories now you will see it if you if i if if i introduce those eight sections in here we'll see them but uh let's go into it first now on the ethical responsibility um in your sunders it starts with a lot of things it starts with uh, some other nursing signs or, or the nursing background now it look at it looks at the culture other things. Now under here, I'm not go I'm not gonna go into the cultural aspect. So I want you to read those one. You read about the various religions in the Sunday's book. I want you to read about the Muslim, read about the different sects of Christianity, the 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 the, 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 the witness, the Jewish witness people, uh those who um the Methodists, they have different beliefs and other things. Now Yes, they all are Christians, but one type of belief, I mean that they have different way of doing things. They have different way of nutrition when it comes to food, the kind of food certain people eat, other people will not eat the kind of food. Now, some religion, some segment, uh, they do not have problem of whether you eat pork or not. Now, but they, like they, like other segments, like uh, the advantage, they do not eat pork. Now, there are people in there, there are people among among the, among those among, among those various sects, you will see that those put in uh, in that sect, there are people who have different belief when it comes to death and burial. So when someone dies, how they bury the person is different. When someone is sick, the end of life ritual is different from how like uh, the Pentecost will do it. There are differences within that particular category. Now for the endless, we want to go about and listen to those things and read it and know what an Amish person would do. Those who are of the Amish uh, Christian, um, what they're going to do when they have someone who is sick and uh, is in terminal illness, what can they do? What What's the last ritual they're going to perform for the person who can die? How do they get married? What are the things they do? Do, uh, do they have funeral or other things? These things are in the English. When it comes to organ donation, 
Do they donate organs? The Adventists, the Muslims, religious people, how do they understand organ donation? How, how do they perceive it? What is the perception about it? It is important to know before the English. Then you will come to um, the kind of food, like I said, setting up for the Hindus, they do not eat cow meat. They feel that they pray to the cow and their prayer is accepted to God or whatsoever. So for that reason, beef, it is their taboo. They do not eat beef. So um, they have those things in there. If you read the first chapter in the, in the Sanders, it talks about cultural and those ethical beliefs. Those are things I want you to go and read to understand about them. Now, under here today, I'll look at ethical principle. I'll look at our concern will be ethics. Ethics is about doing good and avoiding bad or harm for the patient. That's about ethics. Now, when it comes to ethics, ethics also talks about the standard of nursing care. Why you want to provide a nursing care for somebody who does not have money? What's the cause you're going to provide for the same care for someone who has money? One person does not have insurance. What are the laws governing those things? When someone is about to die, someone who has a DNR, someone who has um, those order in their chat or get those order before they can die, how can we handle this order? If a, child needs, if a child needs blood, how can we handle a child who needs blood and the parents are Jehovah's Witnesses and they do not want the child to get blood? What could be our legal action as workers in the hospital, as nurses? What decision can we make? Those things are what I'm concerned about. So on ethics, we'll look at um, these, these values. Now, when it comes to ethics, these values are important because these values set the pave. They set the they, they set the pay for us to publish our to publish our our to publish our for our interest in the right manner. That's what happened in when you do ethics. Now these values are personal belief about ideas that are determining standards that shape our behavior in nursing. It set the pay for morality and it takes away immorality from us when we follow ethical decision-making principles in our, in, in our life. Now, if you look in the basic principle of ethics, we talk about accountability. Now, we must understand these words when it comes to the, for the English. You will understand what is accountability. It's not about just defining it. Because the anchor will bring these things in case scenario. They will give you a case scenario. They will ask you what the nurse has has completed. What did, did the nurse perform with that principle? They're going to have or they're going to have fidelity. They're going to have accountability. They're going to have very different principles when it comes to ethics. So you want to go in the book okay. and look at those principles and define them and know them by heart. Know the meaning of those principles. Advocacy. Advocacy is support of the clients, of the client's health, the client wellness, the client safety, the client personal uh, personal rights, including the client privacy. This about advocacy. The nurse is an advocate in implementing these things I just talked about. The client's rights. The client's what's the client rights? Does the client have a right to refuse medication? Yes. Even the mentally ill client, the client who has mental disability, who is mentally challenged, has right to medication refusal. How does that happen? We'll look at that. Then we'll look at responsibility. Now, it is just the willingness 
to respect obligation and follow through on promises. When you become a nurse, you take an oath. You, you, you take all that, you, you mind the patient, you make sure the patient is not harmed, that nothing you will discharge in under your care of duty that will harm the patient. These are things you take over. When you get pain as a nurse, your pain is ceremony. These things are, these are things we raise our hands and say these things. When we become nurses, we are obligated to do this thing. That becomes our responsibility. They are all of our responsibility that we're going to do as, as, as nurses. Then we have accountability that we must be answerable to what we do. Because what we do, if we are doing it wrongly, lawsuit comes in. Lawsuit is a big thing within the U.S. So nurses are being sued or hospital or institutions are being sued when nurses go wrong. So that's why we must be accountable for our own, action, for our own actions. Those actions, if, when there is a negligence, whether it is an omission, or commission we can be sued for those things then we have confidentiality we are at all time liable we are responsible to manage the confidence of our patient we must hold their privacy in confidence we must not we must not expose our medical record that's why on the unit when you are serving men on the unit when you have when you are pushing the computer through in the medication trail, when you reach to a place wherein you have to go in and give medication, you cannot leave your computer open. That will be a breach of confidentiality. You will close the computer and you will either switch it off or you bend it over, go and provide and go and do your chores or give medication and come back and open it. But at no point in time you, know, you want to leave the computer open and go in and do certain things. Because if you do that, that becomes a breach of confidentiality. And when that happens, you can be sued for that. These are things we want to look at. Then we have other ethical principles for client care. Now, we have other ethical principles for client care. When we are providing care for clients, we have these ethical principles. The first one under there is um, autonomy. Autonomy is the first one. You know, there, are this, there are many of these ones within our English, within our Sanders. So you want to go into it, read the one at a time, and know what they are, understand what we should know about them. Autonomy is the right to make one's own personal decisions, even when those decisions might not be in the person's own best interest. The person must make decision take for example a female is pregnant and she want to do uh eou she, she does not want the baby or the baby is at risk so or her life is at risk so we must get rid of the pregnancy but in that case we have other methods so the nurse should be able to provide alternative measures for that client's problem and ask the client to make a choice the choice by, by that client is what we call autonomy. So in here, we we so we have um one we can do EOU, um we can do medication, we can give you some attack, or we can do other thing, other procedure to 
take out the pregnancy what is your choice we'll go on explain eou is a bit painful it's fast we're going to give you some uh, uh some some anesthetic agents that will make our uh, the entire lower part of your abdomen to be to feel numb and then we'll go in and dilate the cervix and remove what is in there as an embryo or as a zygote or a whatsoever that has been formed we'll remove it now for the solitaire we give you medication, you will inside two on your tongue and you will inside one vaginally. This will take at least longer time. It will make you feel different, you will feel bad, but in four to eight hours, up to two hours, you are then clear of what is in there. Now we provide this option or this option, then we'll ask you what choice do you want to make? This is what we call autonomy. The both, the both alternatives are not good for her. She's going to be in pain. Even if it is not good, she must make a choice. That choice is what we call autonomy when it comes to these nursing ethics. Then we have beneficent. Now, beneficent is the number two over here. Like I said, there are many. Beneficent, beneficent. Now, for beneficent, beneficent talks about an action that promotes good for others without any self-interest. So this, please, I keep putting your phone on me, I keep putting your phone please put the phone on me, we can't keep doing this. I'm, each, time, each time I make a pause, I get confused, I can't understand where I stop it. So please, take your phone, please put your phone on pause. Now, beneficent is the action that promotes um, good for others without self-interest. Meaning you take, you have taken the responsibility to help the client. You're not helping them because you want a reward. It's doing good. Doing good is just about doing good. That's what we call beneficial. You, you do not expect anything like a, like a bad kick or like, like a tip, like a gift. You do good without your personal interest. Not because the client is your brother, is your aunt. No. You do good because it is your, it is your sole responsibility to do what the client needs and the client should be satisfied for what you are doing for them. You should be concerned. That's, that's what we call beneficial. Then we have non. Then we have non-maleficent. Now, non-maleficent, non-maleficent. Uh, now, these two are similar when it comes to the nursing question, but they are different in its meaning. Now, in their meaning, they are different. Non-maleficent is commitment to not do harm. So I'm committed. To do no harm. That is different from doing good for the patient. Let me tell you how how what's the difference between the two. In beneficent, you are doing good with all your interests. In non-maleficent, you are providing a care for this client. Even if the care is not pleasant for the client, but in the real sense, what is being provided is a good thing for the client. Like the child needs to be circumcised. Now, circumcision is painful. The child is crying. But you make sure you do not do anything harmful to the child in the rise of the child's circumcision. So that becomes non-maleficent. It's doing no harm. Non-maleficent. Then we have fidelity. Fidelity is another principle. Now, this word, fidelity, it simply means 
um, a simpler means when we make promises to the client, we must fulfill those promises. It's about fulfilling promises. You went to the nursing, uh, to the psychiatric home, and the client said to you, Genta, can you please bring me a motorcycle tomorrow or I need an airplane? You say, okay, tomorrow for sure, bring an airplane. Now, guess what happened? To you, you are like, you say that in joke. You do not mean it like you said because, because yourself do not even own a car for an airplane. But in that patient mind, because of the patient neurochemicals imbalance that they are suffering from, their mind will tell that what conversation you guys are having is a good conversation that you guys are having. Now, based upon this conversation, so they will rely on what promise you will make to them. So for this promise, when you come back, when you come back, when you come back uh, the next day, definitely you will, when you come back, when you come back the next day, I will drop you. Now, when you come back the following day, you should bring the airplane for them. Now, once you come in the morning, I'm going to ask you, Genta, what's the airplane from yesterday? Oh, I'm sorry. Now, that right there will break the rapport. It will break the trust the client had for you because you lied to them. So, when you uphold the promise you made to them, you fulfill that promise you serve what we call fidelity. Now, we look at the next one called veracity. Veracity is about the reality or the truth. So whenever a nurse is asked about a patient's condition and uh, the nurse like the nurse, is, now there are two things we should understand here. It does not mean that you should tell the patient condition to someone who is not in charge to get a news from that patient. It is not your duty. Now, if the patient asks you, what was my lab result? Let's say, let's, let's say the client went to the lab to do HIV and AIDS. The, the result came and uh, the nurse knows the result. And the client asks the nurse, what's, uh, what's my HIV and AIDS status? The nurse is not the one who's supposed to tell the HIV status of the client to the client. If he or if he or she as the nurse is not the one who did the counseling. So in that case, the nurse cannot tell any result to the client. Now, where this comes in, um, let's take for example, I watched an event. The event that I watched, a friend of mine was severely ill. Um, and uh, doctors have come to him and told him the lab he, he had resolved his illness. Um, after a few times, then the nurse came into the room and she and, and she asked the nurse, nurse, uh, is it true that this this my lab resolved? I can't believe it. No, she was in denial. But uh, this is the reality. At that point in time, as a nurse, you are responsible to say the truth, nothing but the truth to this client. Yes. I'm so sorry to say, but that's your result. And uh, like the doctor said, nothing much can be done um, because you are deaf, you are really ill, and this is a terminal illness. So in that case, you are saying the truth. Now, if the if you are charged to say to the client the reality, the truth to say to the client, you must say that truth. That truth is what we call veracity. 
is saying the client, saying the truth to the client. It's a commitment to tell the truth to the client. That becomes what we call veracity. Now, um, so those are things that we look at. They are in the standards book, and we must look at them. Let's look at, let's listen to this question. The question says, a nurse offers pain medication to a client who is post-operative prior to ambulation. The nurse understands that this aspect of care delivery is an example of which of the following ethical principles. You see how the question came? The nurse is, offer, is offering a pain medication to the client who has pains post-operatively. Now, after this, after this period, um, in this case, what aspect of ethical nursing is this? A says fidelity, B says autonomy, C says justice, D says uh, beneficent. So what could be a correct answer in this case? Yeah. So in this case, a correct answer would be fidelity. This in here. Now, like I said, um, you have to remember these things, like how it is written in the book. Fidelity is our commitment to providing for the client our promises. You promise to discharge your duty as a nurse, nothing else but to discharge that duty. So in providing for the client a medication that the client needs when the client is in pain, you are executing your duty. That becomes fidelity. Now we'll understand when there's justice, what would the example be? When there is autonomy, we have to define these things and know them for the end class. This is how the question is going to come in this area. Then we have what we call legal responsibility. Now there are legal responsibility under here. Um, let's look at some of the legal things that we're going to talk about on, that we're talking about under here today. Now under here we have legal responsibility. Now we have to understand the laws, the laws surrounding our nurse practice in this in the United America because there are so many laws that prevent us from doing certain things and there are so many laws that helps us to do certain things without being sued. Example is the Good Samaritan Law. The Good Samaritan Law protects you and myself to provide care for clients who might need care out there but this particular law has other guidelines. Some of the guidelines include the nurse, first of all, should do a willingly. The nurse should not be paid to offer these services. The nurse should not receive a kickback. The nurse, the nurse should not receive uh, like a tip or a gift in doing these things. When this occurs, the nurse should be willing to provide it according to how it is. The nurse should not make a mistake in, in providing the care. It's like someone is having a problem or someone has a cardiac attack. 
Now, instead of you going to do CPR the right way to rescue the person and you went and did it wrongly and the person even went faster than even if no one has performed CPR, in that case, the law does not protect you. So there are guidelines on this thing that we must know for the English. Over here, um, we have uh, intentional and unintentional laws. We call them the tort law. So we have the unintentional, um, unintentional, and we have the intentional. Now these are called thoughts. Thoughts law. We must understand these things. It is part of the end class. You must know that if you don't understand it, they might come in anger and you might not know them. Under these thought laws, we have the unintentional ones. It is not because it is unintentional, so you cannot be charged or you cannot be sued. You can be sued whether it is intentional or it is unintentional. You can be sued for any other one. It is a malpractice. Now, under here, we talk about negligence. In my practice, here it talks about negligence, and we have malpractice under the unintentional, un, unintentional thoughts. Now, under the under the under these two thoughts, the negligence a nurse fails to implement safety measure for a client at risk for fall. Now, under here, the nurse failed to implement a fall precaution for a client when the client is at risk for fall and the client fell and the client got wound or, or the client got injured. In that case, that is suable. The clients can sue the nurse or the person who is the cause for them to fall because it is a negligent. Whether it was intentional or not, there are things about medicine I will discuss it later on. Just, just give me a little time. Now, the nurse could, the nurse could be sued for that. For my practice, a nurse administered a large dose of medication due to calculation error. That becomes a my practice. One, the nurse failed to do something that led to a problem. Second one, the nurse did something that they're not supposed to do. So there are two things happening here. One is what we call commission, and one is omission. Now, in commission, commission, commission is like um, my practice. The nurse has done something. That is wrong that was not to be done but it, it was done it, it has caused a problem take for example the nurse supposed to, to the nurse supposed to administer 500 milligrams of Tylenol to a patient unfortunately unfortunately the nurse administered 1.5 gram Instead of 0.5 gram, which is 500 milligram, the nurse administered 1.5 gram. That becomes a commission. The nurse has added what was not to be added 
to a treatment plan that has caused problems to the particular patient. Another example is the nurse went on and raised the client bed so high and the client fell from the bed. That becomes a commission. She, he or she has done something that created harm to the, to the client. Now for omission, omission looks like negligence. The nurse removed, omitted. The nurse failed to do something that has led to a harmful situation for the client. Example could be, the nurse supposed to serve this client 500 milligram Tylenol when the client has fever, but the nurse failed to serve this Tylenol because she forgot. So because she failed to serve it, that becomes a negligence or an omission. So there are two kinds of unintentional thoughts. One could be negligence and one, one is negligence and one is malpractice. Malpractice is the nurse did something that was harmful. Negligence is the nurse did not do something that led to a problem. Then we have um, intentional. We have intentional thoughts. Now, for the intentional thoughts, there we have the assault. The nurse assaulted a client. Battery. These are some of intentional thoughts. Like you have false imprisonment. False imprisonment. The nurse told the client that uh, if you do not uh, take a medication, you're not going to watch a TV during a break time or in the break room. Or since you since you fail to take a medication, you're not coming out of bed. That becomes false imprisonment. So battery, false imprisonment, or uh, assault, these are all forms of intentional thoughts. So we have intentional, we have unintentional thoughts. Now under here, there are what we call quasi intentional thoughts now this quasi intentional thought um they are not really intentional 100 but uh they are thoughts that we learn but a slip of our mind or we're not very careful and we broke those promises example is breach of confidentiality i was chatting a medication and i left the computer open and went in the med room. Somebody passed by and spotted the patient drugs they own. Oh, this patient is on Zyrovodin and HIV medication. Oh, this patient has HIV. Oh, oh, this patient is on Acyclovar. That's an antiviral medication. Oh, this patient has some viral infection. That becomes a breach of confidentiality and that will fall in what we call the quasi or quasi, depending on how you call it, quasi-intentional thought. It was done intentionally, but um, you saw it and did not correct it. Let you went. That become quasi-intentional thought. Or what we call deformation of character. You destroy someone's character. That is what we call deformation of character. A nurse tells a coworker that she believes that the client has been unfaithful to her partner. That's why she had HIV is That client she has so many boyfriends. 
She had extra marital relationship. That's why she got HIV and AIDS. That you can be super because you have this straw or you are accepting just someone's character. That's what we call defamation of defamation of character. These are things that we must look at them. Most better for the LPNs. These things can come a lot in the LPN English or the LVN English. So these are things we must look at, we must read them, and we must understand these things. When it comes to informed consent, informed consent is another legal thing that we talk about when it comes to the English. Informed consent is a document that the client must sign when the client is doing some invasive procedure. Informed consent. Um, informed consent. Now, for this informed consent, it is a legal protocol by which a client or the client's legally appointed designee has given written permission for a procedure or a treatment to be carried on. The consent um, is informed when a provider explains the client's understands. So a informed consent should be explained by the healthcare provider. It could be a doctor, it could be a nurse practitioner who will explain to the client the procedure. The client must understand the procedure while the nurse is to witness and to testify that the client has understood the procedure and other alternative for that procedure. That's the role of the nurse and that's the role of the healthcare provider and the patient should go ahead and sign the informed consent if he or she understands the procedure the reason that client needs the treatment one should be explained how the treatment or the procedure will benefit the client two the risks involved if the client chooses this procedure and does not choose the other one the client must understand the risks involved, the, like, the risks and the benefit. The client must also understand that there are other options to this treatment. And the client, the client will understand these things. The nurse role in informed, like I said, is to witness the client's signature. <clears throat> that the client is, has testified. Indeed, he or she understands the condition and he or she is going to sign this informed consent and to ensure that the provider is has obtained the informed consent responsibly. That is the role of a nurse when it comes to informed consent. The nurse must testify to these things and witness the client's signature. The nurse is not the one to explain. The nurse can re-explain, the nurse can rephrase, the nurse can provide better understanding, but the nurse is not the one to explain the to the client when the doctor or the HCP did not explain to the client. When it comes to informed consent, um, we have what we call implied consent. What's implied consent? Enteral medication, um, the ones uh, like a uh, like when we talk about like, like uh, those drugs that we serve to the client in the hospital, the parental medications, the internal medications. Now, the client can accept some of these medications. Now, <clears throat> it is not all 
there are some procedures that, that, that might not be physically in, invasive and the client will still need informed consent. Now, in a case where the client taking like injection, it's invasive. Does the client sign does the client sign document for informed for 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 injection or drugs that are injectable? No. That's where it comes to when we talk about implied consent. The implied consent becomes the client went to the clinic for vaccines and the client was called to the vaccination room and the nurse says, here is your vaccines. I'm putting it on your arm. Which arm do you prefer? The client says, I want my red arm. Put it right here. Or show me your arm. The, the client turns and show his, her arm, his or her arm and the nurse prick the clients on his or her arm. Now, the fact that she, he or she has turned and given her body part to the, to the nurse, that implies that he or she has agreed to taking the injection. That becomes what we call implied consent. Starting IV line, it is an invasive procedure. It's a sterile technique. In that case, the client will give an implied consent. That is not informed, but it's implied consent. The client agree to be pricked to find the veins. Now, um, informed consent has other rules. Yes, some states it varies from, from state to state, it varies. Um, some states you have different guidelines. But what is important here under this particular informed consent, the client must be at least above 18 to sign an informed consent. Below 18, the client will need a legal or a parental guidance. It could be the client father, the client mother, or the client legal guardian. It could be a judge, and other things can, can, can be the one to be the client legal guardian. Now, there are what we call emancipated minors. Now, emancipated minors, emancipated minors, emancipated minors. Now, these are individuals who have not reached the age of 18, but they are charged to make their own decisions. Example, a 17 or 16 years old male in the US Army who is going to the front line. You think he needs legal guidance uh, from parents? No. Court has ordered these individuals, they are emancipated minors. They do not need informed consent to be signed by the parent, despite they are the age 18. A 16 year old daughter who got pregnant, she does not need informed consent from her parent because she's already pregnant. If she were that, that small as a minor, she wouldn't have gotten pregnant. But she can push, she can make her own decision. Her service can dilate, so she's gonna give birth. So she got to be the one making her own decision. So those individuals will fall on the group we call the emancipated minors. Or like you have a 17 year old who is an athlete. Like as long as Justin Bieber, who was around 14, 15, 13, when you already a millionaire. Some individuals who fall under emancipated minors. They do not need parental guidance to make decisions on certain things in their life. So um the client, some people can take court specified representative to be their informed consent. Some people can have power attorney to be the informed to, to get the informed consent. There are different types. 
Now, then we look at um, advanced directive. Now, when it comes to advanced directive, there are two kinds of advanced directive. Under advanced directive, we have the living will advanced directive. Now, under here, we have two types. We have the living will, the client's living will, or the client durable power of attorney, the DPA. Now, um, the living will is a legal document that expresses the client's wishes regarding medical treatment in the even the client becomes incapacitated that the client cannot make decision on his or her own. So the living will is that document that will speak for the client. Oh yes, I am at the corner, I've written that phone at the point of death and I'm having this problem or this problem. I do not need O2, I do not need to be, I do not need resuscitation. Or when I do this, I do that, my things are left good. Now that becomes what we call your living will. You put it into writing, yourself wrote them. It is what we call your living will. You were alive when you made those witches. That becomes the living will. For the advanced directive, the sorry, the durable attorney is for the healthcare. It's a document in which the client designates and a healthcare proxy to make decision for him or for her when the client is ill and the client cannot make decision the client will designate somebody the client designates someone so the dpa the client will show somebody that that person could be the healthcare proxy it's also called a healthcare proxy so the healthcare proxy will be the one they're going to call your client is in coma. What can we do? Should the client be on life support or we should pull it out? Should we do this? Or the client is in coma. We don't have any time that the client is going uh, to be recovering from this coma. The client will be for the next 30 years. Should we remove the plug that the client can just die and go and rest? Should now the healthcare person will make that decision on your behalf when you can no longer make, make those decisions. Now, between the two, this one is the most important. This one has more weight compared to this. Because this is the client's own handwriting. It's the client's own wording. So this, if the client had a living will, and the client, before the client got ill, the client, the client was sick, you know, in a hospital, the client appointed a healthcare proxy. And the healthcare party said that this client does not need to be resuscitated. So the client is going on DNR. In that instant, while the client in the hospital, the client, the family found a will for this client. And the will said the client would need to be resuscitated just in case. So in that case, the client has a healthcare practice and the client has a living will. So in that case, as a nurse, one says DNR. One say go ahead and receive the which one would the nurse follow? The nurse would definitely follow the will because the will is a client owns writing. So in that case, this has more width compared to the DPA or the designated person the client appointed 
when the client was not ill. So these are things the client will go ahead and look at. Now, these things are in our books. We must look at them. We must read them and understand them. These are legal things that are going to come in the end class that will put us in complete ambivalence that we cannot choose what to do or what to say or what which one to pick as the correct answer. Now, the only thing that can, that can stop this dilemma situation when we get to the end class is when we read them well and we know them for ourselves. Then, we can be good with doing them. Now, then we look at delegation and supervision. Another big one in the anchor. First, let me stop and see what we have question. Is there is there any question so far? Now, delegation is the process of transferring tax to other people or the process of sharing duties on the units, on the walls, or in the hospital, in the nursing home. We cannot do everything as nurses, so we must dedicate other things in order to other people that are going to be there. You have the LPNs or the LVNs, you have the CNS or the UAPs, they're going to be there, so they need to have tasks to perform. Now, supervision is the process of directing or monitoring or evaluating performance when you have had them delegated. So you ask somebody say, okay, um, you go and check the main vital sign. In that case, you have delegated. Um, the nurse, the CNA came and said the vital sign is uh, 200, or 200 or 40. What next you gotta do? You have to monitor what the CNA has done. Because when you delegate, once it all becomes of that delegation, you the one who assigned the client, you are also responsible as just as the client herself or himself. A lesson personnel are nurses who have completed a course of study in nursing, like the LP and the LVN, they can also fall in delegational status. The, we have the unlessing individuals who have just had a training to assist in this hospital or on the, in the nursing home. These are the unlicensed assistive personnel, the UAPs. So the UAPs are also in there. And when they receive tax, the nurse must monitor them. Then, some facilities differentiate between LPNs or lessing and unlessing personnel. Now, in California, um, LPNs are still serving medication. LPNs are getting RV. LPNs are charging war. There are so many things that LPNs, LVNs are doing here. Now, even CNS, there are things that CNS, CNS are doing in California that they will not do in Pennsylvania. They will not do in New Jersey. They will not do in other states. Now, so they have different state law. Now, when it comes to the NCLEX, the ANCLES is a unique hospital. Now, the reason why these things are being done in other states because they might be in a huge shortage for nurses and other things. Now, but what I, it is 
what's to define what is what it is the anklet the anklet is a complete hospital it is a complete hospital that thing that it has everything you need it is not in 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 search of nurses it is not in in short of anything everything you wanted to do in in, in the class is a complete unit think about it that way and go ahead and do your question now when it comes to this uh, delegation a licensed nurse is responsible to provide clear directions with delegations as a tax when when the tax is being delegated initially for a period of time now the RNs might or can delegate to another RN so the RN is the head on the period when it comes to delegation so RN can delegate to RNs RNs can delegate to LP or LVNs and RN can delegate to UAPs or CNEs now, the RN must delegate a tax so that they can complete higher level of tax that only RNs can perform. Now, the RNs can, uh, this will allow them to do more efficient work on the team as a senior team member. The LPNs can delegate to another LPN and also to the UAPs. Now, the nurse can only delegate tax appropriate for the skill and level of education for the one who is receiving the tax to be done. If this individual, it could be an RN or an, another LVN, if he or she does not know the tax or is not a bread, is not the level of the tax, that tax should not be delegated. Because, like I said, when a tax is delegated, the one who's delegating the tax, if anything goes wrong, he or she is held liable for that delegation. The RNs may not delegate the nursing process. They may not. They say they can delegate. They may not dedicate the nursing process, client education, or tax that are required nursing judgment to LPNs or APs. Now, there are cases in which these tax are dedicated. That's, that's how they use the word may. Example is, an ongoing education can be dedicated to a, to a LPN or LVN. Like, someone who has a stroke, and the person has a feeling that has been ongoing, and the feeling the person is stable, the UAPs can do that particular feelings. But when it comes to some cases, like an example, admission, Vatican, RNs will not dedicate those ones. But an ongoing Vatican on the wall, that can be dedicated by the RNs. Now, so, the RNs can only delegate a tax when that tax is predictable, meaning the RN knows the outcome of that tax. Take, for example, a client is to be ambulated to the bathroom. 
if the client is stable, the client can work with all four risks. The client can ask the UAP to assist the client. The nurse can ask the UAP to assist the client to the bathroom. That task is a task that is predictable. If the client just came from surgery, the client is at the risk at risk for fall. That tax it is not predictable. We cannot dedicate that tax. The RN herself or himself should go and provide the ambulation. If the tax is potential for harm, is there a chance that something negative could happen? Is the client stable? If the client, if this answer are yes, delegate. If they are not yes, don't delegate it. Another one is how complex the care is or the tax is. Does the client care require complex tax? Does the state police act or the unit policy allows the delegatee to perform the tax? And, 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 and have all necessary skills. Like I said, in California here, some things can happen here would not happen in other states. So these are things we must answer before we can delegate a tax. The need for problem solving and innovation is the judgment essential while performing the tax. Can this UAP pick up abnormal signs of complication when the UAP is doing the tax for this client? If the answer is yes, delegate. If the answer is no, don't delegate that particular tax. The last one is the law of interactions. Does the delegatee need psychosocial support or education during the during the tax? If the client needs additional, if, if, the, if, the, if the staff needs additional education, do not delegate the tax. If the client understands it well, then delegate the tax. In California, you will see LVN, orienting an RN. You will see LVN as a charge nurse on the wall. RN is working on the charge nurse. In the end class, it can happen in the end class. That's the, it's a complete hospital. So what we see in the hospital is now what we take to the end class. In short, now for the LPNs, we can delegate monitoring findings as input to the RN's ongoing assessment. That is, they can monitor our ongoing ongoing findings as as LVN. They can reinforce client teaching. They cannot provide teaching for the client. They can reinforce teaching for the client. They can perform triggers to make care on their own for the LVN or the LPNs. They can suction the client. They can check for the NG2 patency. They can administer enteral feedings. They can insert a urinary character. They can administer medication, excluding IV. But in California, LVN can administer IV, but it's not for the NCLEX. Let's be clear on that. The UAPs, they can do ADLs. Now, the reason why I had to go through this thing is because do not listen to how I'm labeling them here because there are a lot of cases or case scenarios that in the end class that they will be bad from doing these things. Take for example, the book says ADLs is 
to UAP, ADS, activity of daily lives is to UAP, unless you assisted personnel. Now, this ADS is the client everyday thing, like the client hygiene, mouth, wash, shower, now. But if this client came from surgery, this client just had a stroke, this, this, UAP, this ADS cannot be done by a UAP. It will be contraindicated. So that's why when I'm getting these things, I rarely talk about this fact because I don't want to give you fixed things for about these things. You must use your own judgment in these questions. There are questions with certain conditions, UAPs will not do them. Certain things RN will do, LVN or LPN will do it. Certain things they will not do because it is above their scope of, 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 of operations. So you must use your own judgment in doing this. But I will give you the, the background. Grooming, dressing, ambulating, toileting, swallowing uh, precaution, other things, um, routine tasks like bed making, specimen collection, vital signs, unstable clients, are tasks for the UAPs or the, or the CNAs. Any tasks that requires teaching or the patient is unstable, we do not delegate those tasks. Just do that in short. So, um, for supervision, before providing the claim, it should be the right task, the right circumstances, it should be the right person, it should be the right direction and the right communication, it should be the right supervision and the right evaluation. These are the rights that the these are the principles when it comes to supervision guidelines. We must follow these things when we are providing them. There are five rights. Some books will say six rights. The last one is right documentation. So you have the right tax, the right circumstances, the right person, the right direction, um, and the right supervision. Some books will say the right documentation. So these are... Um, <clears throat> Right, uh, these are the five rights of delegation. When these five rights are not correct, meaning we cannot delegate. So we have the five rights of delegation, and we have the five rights of medication administration. Now that also has the sixth one to be right documentation. So anything that we do, if it's not documented, meaning it is not done. And now we did not do if we document it, meaning we did it, so we must watch this thing before we can go ahead and document just what we want to do. Any question? Now, um, I will talk about the last portion before we can leave. Um, that portion has to do the nursing process. Now, the nursing process is similar, it's a little big on the anklets, but I'm going to tell you how it's going to come in the anklet. It is not how we see it out here. That's not how it's going to come in the anklets. So it comes in the anklets usually, but we must understand how they are given, the nursing process. Now, the nursing process, 
um, it is a cyclical, critical thinking um, that consists of five steps that are purposeful, they are goal-oriented, and the outcomes are very much, some to a certain extent, scientific. Now, in the nursing process, we must go in accordance, according to the various steps, to, to yield a good result, we must follow the steps. We do not want to miss the step or jump over one step. It's not really good. It's not going to be good for us. Now, in the nursing process, um, we have what we call the ADPA. A D P I E. A D P I E. Assessment, data collection or diagnosis, planning, implementation, and evaluation. These are the five uh, push parts of the nursing process. Now, um, I'm going to be snappy to look at them and I'll tell you how they're going to work. The first portion is assessment. Um, assessment over here is one of the most important portion. When something occurs, the first thing that comes to mind is to assess and know what's happening, why, how, what's, what is happening, why did it happen, what is, what, what's going on. That becomes our concern. The client is not breathing well. Somebody says, oh, the nurse wants to call the child that, that the client yeah, is not breathing well. When the, when the nurse comes, the first thing is assessment. But there are some exceptions that the regular assessment is not the most. Assessment could be just 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 like a just um browsing just mopping over your eyes that could be an that could be assessment so you have to do an ins uh, inspection or uh, palpitation of uh, uh, sorry palpation auscultation all those ones for honor assessment also everything for honor assessment now it's just like trying to figure out what's going on it could be by you hearing by you seeing things by you smelling things, by you just feeling it, that could be assessment. Sometimes we just feel a body pass and know what's happening. When someone has an enlarged spleen, a splenomegaly, we do not have to open the client to know what the client has to do. We just feel the abdomen. We see the spleen enlarged and descending towards the left upper quadrant of the abdomen. You see the spleen coming down. When someone has enlarged liver, hepatomegaly, we can feel it. When someone has um, damaged kidneys, we can the client can sit up, we touch the client back and hit the client back. We're gonna know that the client has a damaged kidney or renal system. These are things that are door open. So we can just sometimes we just get a smell. Hmm? A smell can tell what's happening to the client. You can smell a wound that is infected and know that the wound is infected. So that is our sense of smell we are using the wire to do assessment. So when our assessment is not, is not correct, everything down becomes wrong. After our assessment, we do analysis. 
It's not called diagnosis. We do diagnosis. Now, under here, we diagnose or we analyze what the client, what will govern the client assessment. Then we have planning. We must plan. How are we going to carry out this patient treatment? It's about planning. When we plan, then we go in and implement implementation. This becomes how are we going to carry out what we've planned? The client needs to take fluid. How are we going to get a fluid? RV through oral route? Or how the client take the fluid? It's about implementation. That becomes the implementation. After we do everything that we achieve, our aim was the goal, was the goal oriented, was it achieve? That answer comes from evaluation. Did we achieve it 100%? Was it halfway or was it just in a quarter? How did we achieve it? That becomes 25% or 50% or 100%. This about the N class, the nursing process. Now, in the N class, they're going to come in different format. In the N class, you're not going to see it in this format. They're hard. They're explaining. The question is going to be like, the nurse received a telephone call from the pediatric unit and the client is in distress. What would, the nurse, what would the nurse immediate action? The nurse received a telephone call and the client is in respiratory, respiratory distress. What the nurse immediate action? A, um, order six liter of oxygen. B, um, B says, um, raise the bare head. C says, check. The child restoration and this says administer um decline hydrocot um to increase the patient respiration. What would the nurse do? Yes, O2 is what we gave to the client who has difficulties in breathing. Yes, we also we also raise the bear head. What can we do? Raise the bear or give O2. The nurse received a telephone call. Did the nurse verify what will happen to the client? According to our nurse, the first thing we do is assessment. Assessment, diagnosis, planning, implement before we evaluate. So if we administer this medication, meaning what are we doing? We are doing implementation. If we raise the head of the bed, what I would do, we are still doing implementation. But in this case, according to our we do assessment. So in this case, our answer is going to be we check the client breathing. Is it even true that the client is in distress? It could be the client is playing, the client just doing something else, and they, and they see another thing to call you that the client is in distress. You did not assess and you went in to implement. So that would be wrong. 
So in the anchors questions, this question is going to come in so many tricky forms. We must always watch what the form we are going to pick is in according with the nursing process. Here another question. The question, the question says, says that uh, the nurse received a telephone call or, or the nurse received a, a patient. The patient has the following vital sign or the patient has a, a, a respiratory rate of 10, a pulse of 40, I say a pulse, sorry, a pulse of, a pulse of one, 140, and the client has an O2 saturation of 86. What would the nurse do? In this case, the question has provided assessment tools. Now, the question has, oh, this is, this cannot be gotten from the patient without doing assessment. So the other rate that was gotten, the pause, the auto-saturation, everything for an assessment. So this client has gone through assessment. So in this case, the question says this, meaning we don't look at assessment, we go to what? How can we implement to safeguard the class? So in this case, the question answer is going to be, we order, the first to do is what? We raise the bare head. Or we are, we, we administer the O2. Now, in nursing, in nursing, in nursing, in this case, our best bet would be we we raise the bed because this is within our scope of nursing. Now, if this does not work, then or if this is absent, then we're talking about this is not our this is not our function. Raising the bare hair is the first thing the nurse will do. Opening the airway. Raising the bare head, checking the client mouth, seeing the client, what, what the client now. That those are our, our those are our errors. So when those things are checked and they are okay, then we move to another error. So this the nursing process that's how it's gonna come in the end class. And the end class has majority question in the is priority. How do we prioritize? And prioritization question in the end class is based on few things. One the nursing process, two, the ABC, three, master hierarchy of human needs. Those are the three things that takes over, that take over the entire endless priority question. So we must understand how these questions are given to be on the right side for these things. So we'll look at another one tomorrow, which is the master hierarchy of human needs, and then we'll look at other portion. Any questions so far? Any question?